This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello there and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra with me, Jean-Paul Wright. Thank you so much for all your lovely responses to the last two podcasts by Claire with the wonderful Atara Bentovim. Atara really has been a tour de force in the flute world who began to open doors for female flute players in a very much male-dominated environment back in the 1960s and 70s. If you haven't listened to them, I do recommend that you go back. They are wonderful. Thank you also for the emails and messages on social media about the meditation podcast. I'm so pleased that many of you like the introduction to creative visualisation, meditation and mindfulness, a real passion of mine. Don't forget to visit thehappyflutist.com where you'll find 26 beautiful tracks to unwind, chill meditate or do yoga too. There are also some guided meditations there and the happyflutist.com is completely free to access with no logins and no passwords required. Before we speak to this week's guest, just a quick thank you from Claire and I to all our long-suffering podcast listeners as one of our podcast providers who we upload to each week called Podbean informed us that we have now exceeded 200,000 downloads with them alone. Wow, thank you to everybody. So this week, I'm dialing in with the technical director of Trevor James Flutes, or otherwise known as TJ Flutes, based in Lenham, just outside of London, called David Farley. The TJ brand is known around the world via its social media presence for experimenting and making wonderful instruments accessible. Their passion for making beautiful alto flutes has certainly changed the popularity and landscape of a once endangered species. Yes, alto flutes weren't always as popular. David Farley heads up the technical team and R&D meetings at TJ Flutes where they gather feedback from testing and experimentation using players around the world. So I started the call with asking him how all this started. So where did this fascination for technical detail and especially on the woodwind instruments because you're not only, I mean, you're known for flute uh, designing and working with flutes, but also what people listening to this won't know is you're also a bit of a, a pro on saxophones and flutes and clarinets, in fact, everything. So where did this fascination actually start, David? Well, actually, I... I kind of started playing the flute when I was, I don't know, seven, I think. And, um, and so I've always had that nine, early 1970s kind of flute fascination and enjoyed my instrument, having moved across from recorder, as it were, and um, sort of trained um, as, a, as a teacher and a player and later had an opportunity to come here, uh, Trevor James. And uh, obviously... That's where it all kind of came to fruition, really. It's I, I suddenly found what I was really wanting to do, which was 
to um, work with the instrument that I loved. And as a result of my association with Trevor James uh, for the last 30 years now, I've actually been introduced to various instruments that I probably wouldn't have done otherwise, which mainly the saxophones, clarinets as well, and various other um, woodwind instruments that, of course, we've had to develop and do our best to try and meet the need of the market. So before we delve deep into the flute, because it's a flute podcast, I just want to touch on the developments that you're, you've built up over the years, this art of detail. In other words, this, this real fascination for measurements, understanding what works in an instrument and what doesn't work and why it worked in a previous design or a previous brand name. So if we go back a step and let's look at the saxophone very, very briefly. In that the mm. TJ saxes for 20 years were known as student and step up. And yep. the top level saxophones, the professional saxophones, were really down to three or four brands. And it was virtually impossible to break into that, wasn't it? How did yes. you how did you take an instrument and bring it to what is known now as it's to- this professional sax called the signature custom saxes mm. sits mm. happily mm. along all alongside all the other professional saxes? What made you believe that you could design and then build a sax that could work with all the other established brands? Yes, good, very good question. I think the answer is quite squarely that I actually sought advice. And I sought advice from the people that matter, who are the players. Mm. And I've been very blessed with associations with a number of very leading people um, who have helped us as a company, have put us on the right track, have given us um, clues and ideas. Sometimes they're hurdles to jump over. Sometimes they're sparks of an idea. But with those ideas, you can then start to formulate a technical approach to how to make that, make that work. And uh, slowly but surely, um, you find the right formula. So there is no magic. I'm not a great scientist. I'm not a great kind of um, a technical person in that respect. But what I do appreciate is the fact that it's the players that know what they need and not for me to tell them. But you must have taken a, a raw product to them. And I mean, your knowledge of, let's look at Selma <laughs> Mark Sixes and all the top professional saxes, you know yeah, how yeah. they're built you know what, absolutely what me- you know what metals are used you know the tone hole absolutely so, exactly so what made you confident that you could take a bass instrument to them as in baseline instrument or bass sax but a baseline instrument to these players and say <laughs> how close are we and i say that because you've worked with one of the world's leading saxophone players andy shepherd in developing mm. his mm. own nine tenth or well, ten thousand dollar sax uh, on a limited edition yeah. run, which is almost sold out. Where did you start with that product? Because it must have been good to start with the players to agree to come in and say, actually, you're quite close. Yes, yes. Well, I, I think a lot of it really is is looking at what you've got that works already. Um, where, you know, what are the good points about what you've been working on and what you've had? And then looking at where the shortfalls are. And the shortfalls can fall into a lot of categories. But obviously, with professional players, we're talking about intonation. We're talking about sound. We're talking about ergonomics and all sorts of aspects. And all of these things, you know, need to be refined somehow. Um, what th- There were a number of things that, that happened that I was quite lucky to have found uh, with regard to saxophones. But it's really, I could go into now, but I, I, I think I won't for the moment. Um, but there is lots of detail there 
should you wish to find it. So it's, it's really a matter of, of taking the saxophone, seeing what you've got that's right, and then working through all of the areas that are that are that there is that there is a shortfall, and trying to reverse engineer. Now, when you look back to the past, you've got clues. You've got some of them are serendipity. Sometimes things happen out of our control, and they can't be repeated. But when you find something that works, it's a matter of looking at it objectively and seeing what it is that you believe has made that item work and then what can you take from that and so i've kind of very much taken a slow approach to the development the development of our saxophones because i wanted to understand what it is that actually makes these things work well um, i haven't I, i've not i'm not one for homage sort of products and jumping on bandwagons or anything what i really would like to do is to try and find out what works and over the years you develop more understanding of how that airflow works, what happens, what the material can, can and can't do. And you also associate yourself with a lot of other people that have ideas too, and you can share those and actually benefit from them. So I, I, I wouldn't personally say that I have personally found all of these things. It is my interpretation of what other people have suggested. And you've gone to some of the world's leading horn players and they've given. I remember well, quite a few years ago, you working with Dave. Ale- What's his Dave Alexander? Eric Alexander. Oh, yeah. No, Eric and Alexander. Dave O'Higgins. Dave O'Higgins. Dave yeah, O'Higgins. That's the yes, yes, yes. And Dave. Dave had one of the first prototypes you were building of the Pro Sax. Yes. And yes, he was yes, sending yes. you these audios and just saying the upper partials were slightly out up here. The upper partials yes, exactly. were slightly. How do you work from a technical perspective when you're told <laughs> that? <laughs> it's quite daunting really um it's quite daunting but the, but like all, all journeys it starts with the first step and of course you start looking at what you can do with that information easily mm-hmm. what you don't understand and then you start to experiment and to have a look yeah. and uh, see what you can work out and i mean i'm over over the years because i've taken it in a very structured way and um uh, you, you you end up with a formula which works better then you know and sometimes these things do have a habit of you know three three good ideas leads to a bigger sum than their parts if you know what i mean uh, you know so maybe two or three areas actually fix another area as well and it's really yeah i mean it, it's trying not to be daunted look at it from a um look at it look at what you can do look at what you just have no idea how to how to fix and then work through it in a structured way and that's what i would do yeah, well, ultimately, as you always say, it's the players that decide. It's not the makers, the mm. designers, the manufacturers. You've got to get the no, player. No, absolutely. I mean, the players out there are the people that we are trying to support. They're, 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 we're trying to support live music. We're trying to support orchestral music and real music. And the point is that if, if as a manufacturer, you can't do that, you can't support that player, or you don't give that player enough um, uh, free reign to give you advice, then I think you're missing the point and that's would be my biggest philosophy i think is that if the player doesn't know what they want how do you know yeah well i would totally agree with that do you find in your travels over the last 30 years and speaking to flute players and sax players that sax players are they, they don't judge an instrument by the brand they pick up the instrument they blow it and then they look at the name of the horn whereas flute players mm. i know because i've been in the business as long as you have 
they look mm. at the they look at the brand name and then they tend to have this preconceived idea. What is what's your feelings on that? Um. Well, my, my, the feelings I have on that are that I think we all, we all aspire to own something. We all need to own something. And there's various levels throughout. You know, as a beginner, you need something which is going to make, make you sound good quickly. It's going to be robust. It's going to be in tune. It's going to be all of these things. But you always aspire to having that solid gold flute, that's, that, 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 that wonderful um, top end model um that you always aspire to and maybe we need that in our life in order to do but there is a big difference between what you actually need as a player and what you wish to have as a player and the thing i found over the years is that people aspire to own very fine instruments and that is a wonderful thing but the people that have owned those instruments that have had numerous of those instruments are basically in a position to be able to help me because they're not brand led at that point. They are actually looking at what the the tool that they need. It, you very often find that saxophone players are more tuned in to a sound and what they need, and they're very fixated generally on vintage sound. So it's understanding what that is. And you're right, they're not, they don't really always care because they've had them. They've owned them in the past. They, it's, 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 it's rolled over them, if you like, that aspirational side of it. What they're really into is looking after their careers and their sound and trying to get what they need. And, of course, um, from a flute playing perspective, it tends to stop once, once, an, once an owner, once a player has got that aspirational instrument, that sort of stops uh, to some degree. But in saxophone world, it's a little more, it seems a little bit more open in my experience. Yeah, same as mine. So let's move on to the flutes. Mm. Let's bypass the oh. saxophones. But I wanted to bring the saxophone <laughs> in just as an example of you taking a student and step up brand line, as the yes. TJ is known as, and actually bro- breaking into the professional line of saxophones. Yes. Yes. Now, if we go back to the flute world, and the flute world is much bigger world than the, a much bigger market than the sax world. When you joined the company, we were very much known as a student brand a student maker mm. and mm. over the years i think what you've bought is you've learnt obviously from uh, all the products that we've distributed and as a repair and specialist repair and speaking to people on how to sort of step up products but you are very and i know you believe in kaizen the japanese process of continuous mm. uh, involvement to listen, continuous mm. improvement your mm-hmm. idea of building things of a greater value and a greater standard and then dropping those features and those manufacturing techniques down to lower models is an interesting concept, isn't it? Um, yes. I, I, I would always try and do the best with the materials you've got and the opportunities you've got. So if you, know, if, if you have access to a handmade facilities and everything else, and you, and, and, and then, then there is no reason why you shouldn't be able to produce the, a, a most perfect product. But when you're looking at a student instrument, the point is that, you know, what, what makes that flute good? What makes a flute good? What makes a flute suitable for the target market that you're aiming it at? And as a player, and as coming into the company as a player, that has always been my kind of, you know, my driving force, really. It's trying to make sure that whatever you are doing, you're doing to the best of your ability and, and what you can and can't achieve. 
That's obviously worked, David, mm. because our, mm. our en entry flute, the TJ10X, has won numerous awards, um, mm. certainly in the UK and the Music Industry Award for being the best uh, woodwind instrument of the year, won it three times, I think. In the last year, or before pre-COVID, that, that is, you designed a head joint called the Voce, and mm. you decided, in your intimate wisdom, that that should be in 958 silver, but mm. the key to it is not only designing a good head joint, put it in 958 silver, but sticking it on a step-up instrument. Um, I, think, I think players of all standards deserve the best that we can do. I don't think it should be uh, all aspirational. I think there are players out there, you know, as technology improves, as our ability to use materials improve, and the quality of that material uh, improves. Um, so, so we owe it to our players and uh, to to basically try and meet the the sound that they that they need really. So the whole the whole nine five eight um, idea really is to try and I think we've had our nine nine two five heads on air flutes now for quite some years and although we've undergone various cuts and various shapes and all sorts of things I think I thought it was about time that we actually come up with something which is um, a bigger than a step up it's a fairly sizable upgrade to what we were doing and I've been very blessed with uh, again with some very good feedback on this head joint. It's yeah. a stunner David and it's <laughs> it's thank you it's a stunner but something I, I don't know what it is why in 958 silver it gives you more than in nine two five. Yeah, I know it's a. It, it, there, there is something that is special, and I, I just find it interesting. Whereas all step up floats out there, they all use nine two five, and obviously nine two five silver is a cheaper. Uh, I mean, it's still expensive, but it's a cheaper material. Why hmm. go nine five eight? Well, why have silver flutes at all? Really, I think that's the point. <laughs> I think over the uh, 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 <laughs> over the years, I think silver, I and mean, we can we can head back to the wooden side of things later on. But the, the silver flute, so the, the sterling silver, or a, pu a purist, a purer form of silver, has all has long been seen as being the sort of material of uh, of, of the sound of modern flute sound. Um, the purity of that silver is helps the sounds too because you know if we had a lower grade lower than 925 silver it would be a little brighter it would have more other uh, more other things in the alloys which may not react the same but what i think as a flute world we've come to understand is that silver is a good working everyday material for the flute sound the quality of the silver the amount of pure silver in that alloy and let's face it 925 means 925 parts per thousand as it were of pure silver 75 parts are other things so the purer that silver can be the the, the better that sound can can be as well um, it's slightly warmer it's slightly rounder it has a different character and uh, and i think that that is really why we experiment with the materials in flute the flute world that we do that's why not every single flute in the world is is exactly the same material and good job but as well I, <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah exactly but some people like the gold sound some people like the the nickel sound you know it's, it's again it's harking back to the saxophone side it's whether you like that brighter sound whether you like that kind of rounder bigger sound that warmer sound or whether you have to blend in with other people um, as an orchestral player or a band player so really it's a material thing um, we've long since thought that silver is the is the is, is the 
it's the material of choice for flutes and therefore it seems logical to try and experiment with a slightly purer form of silver to see what happens to the sound. So you develop probably the best head joint that TJ flutes have ever had and they are now available on <laughs> all step up silver head and silver tube flutes but no sooner as you if, if you do that and you put that into production is that you deviate off really left field into an area that um, <laughs> I really, really wasn't expecting, which is wooden flutes. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I've grown up with silver flutes. Gold, yeah. I've had a gold flute, but I've deviated back to silver with my gold uh, Lafan head, which is really old Lafan head. Um, and just a funny story of that. I didn't know it was white gold until you told me all those years ago. Until <laughs> <laughs> so he cleaned it up and he said, you know, this is white gold. Exactly. <laughs> but you've deviated... Sort of re- I remember when you came to us and said, I think we need to, in the research and development meeting, I think we need to look at a wooden flute. Um, hmm. I think my react, first reaction was just yeah, thought, yeah. the world of wooden flutes, it's either old wood, because what people won't know is we purchased the Flute Makers Guild Company of London um, mm, mm. Uh, many years ago, and we put it in hibernation. And we yeah, put it exactly. We protected it. Yeah, we yeah we protected <laughs> it so other people didn't come out with sort of Chinese mm, copies mm, or something. But mm-hmm. the obviously the Flute Makers Guild of London is known for its wooden flutes. Obviously, Rudel Cart is known for its uh, wooden flutes. But we're talking mm. going back some. You know, modern days you've also got the Powell wooden. You've got the phenomenal Sankyo wooden, and you've got some really really beautiful expensive wooden flutes out there. Mm, Why mm, did mm. you suddenly? think or that there was a demand or an interest for an affordable wooden flute so we're not talking about like mean china produce very cheap wooden flutes uh, that uh, mm. they play but there's nothing about them they're all sort of made with and they're rebadged mm. what made mm. you decide to design a wooden flute that has all the characteristics of tj um I've, I've, a lot of things really i think a bit of vanity i think there's um there's 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 always that need for people to be able to try these things at a level much the same as their own philosophy of flutes at the level that works it's good value for money and that isn't an extreme of price at the moment if you if you want a wooden flute and you want the the, the best that, that that there is it's handmade it's fully handmade and you you will have to pay for that so in order to experience the sound of wood in a, in a flute, it, you, you need to be able to do exactly what we've done all along, which is to produce a flute, which is the best work you can, given the confines that you have, but give the best you can. Because there is a, there is a very real risk, if we're not careful, of, of us losing contact with the past and all of the experience and genius, quite frankly, of the makers that went before us. Okay, but and if we let, lose, let's wood, be open here, David. You have a bias. You have a bias because <laughs> you are uh, an aficionado, aficionado even, of uh, Rudelkart. I, I I stand on the I stand on the shoulders of giants. I do a lot of reading. I have a lot of um, passion for 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 the flute and the and the and the world, and I don't like to see us bowling forward into the 21st century having missed uh, various things um, from the past and I think that the that all of these flute makers from years ago had great ideas and some really good things to do to say genius design and yet we kind of in danger if we're not careful of allowing marketing and economics to rule the development of the flute should we say 
so we're going to we, we could end up with very cheap copies which aren't really flutes if you know what i mean in the best sense they're kind of homages to something but they're made at a price and but they're not representative of a flute maker's real work so if i'm i i, want, I don't want to lose contact with the flute as an artistic instrument and i don't want to lose all of the genius that's gone before us so when you play your old rudel cart what yeah. what what do you feel what do you hear when you play it and then you play a normal flute can you feel or i mean is it a psychological thing you can feel history you can feel something does it feel does it feel different when you play it does it feel different to response Yes, I, I, yes, they do. Um, very much so. I mean, uh, I, I think a wooden flute. It, it really depends on how well it works, how well it's the embouchure is cut, how responsive it is. But I think once you go back to some of the older rudal carts, you suddenly realise how blessed we've been for a hundred years with embouchure holes in silver, because the whole <laughs> idea of being the whole idea of being able to generate power and flexibility, and intonation and articulation in you know on the flutes that we all have nowadays um is 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 something that you yeah so when you go back to some of the older wooden flutes you realize that you really did have to have an embouchure in order to get the best out of these instruments so i think that that is the first thing is trying is trying to but i think the sense of history um, and 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 you know the sound is a wooden sound is a wooden is a wooden sound um it's 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 lovely to play it's very it, it sort of draws you in and it's it's lovely to practice on because you can actually the whole thing you you can feel it as you play it and a silver flute has become a a really powerful flexible incredibly um projecting instrument which is fabulous for what we need in this day and age but also that wooden sound is something there's something there's something deep in in all of us as flute players about that sound and i think once you've experienced it and played it you think yeah i really want to pursue this more but it's doing it with a foot in each camp because we, what we want to do is to produce try and produce a wooden flute which has a lot of the old attributes but also a lot of the modern cuts and the modern responses and that's been my kind of thing that I wanted to do I wanted to find that middle ground where you can actually find a wooden flute that plays very well the the intonation hasn't been compromised in any way and you know it's not going to cost the earth either I think everyone deserves to try that wooden sound even if it's just in a head joint so a couple of years ago we gave you the freedom to start experimenting and create working prototypes and we sort of butted out we just thought I I must admit (laughs) I thought this would be a project as as another project we're going to speak about in a second but I thought this would be a project because I know we make wooden head joints and they're very good wooden head joints but I thought this Mm. would be a project that you would again I thought it'd be a vanity project that you it you wouldn't (laughs) be able to meet the brief which is an affordable wooden flute around about 5,000 US I think and anyway that was Mm. the the brief with a really free-blowing head joint and um, actually looking as you say paying homage uh, visually the flutes of old and then we went into lockdown so i think there'd been two or three prototypes before that had been out gone out and i know you were getting a lot of feedback on that then we went Mm. into lockdown and a couple of the projects that you were working on obviously went into suspended animation because Mm -hmm. we, we were not working and we were furloughed over here in the uk and then as recently as we've begun to unlock and you've been going in occasionally 
um, and messing around at home as you probably do in your own workshop, you've <laughs> sort of you finalised this um, this wouldn't last wooden prototype. I I was lucky mm. enough to have a honk on it um, a couple of weeks ago, and I was stunned. Um, <laughs> it was it wasn't like the pre the prototype beforehand. It, I think you'd taken a hell of a lot of comment and you just sort of changed everything, the way it blew, the resistance, the warmth, mm. how it felt. And, um, mm. and I know that in the last two weeks, uh, you've sent it out to a few players and the feedback has mm. been stunning, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Yeah. I, I, I think that what I wanted to try to do was to actually look at the whole tube, look at the whole flute, the whole wooden side of it, and just try and improve the intonation issues that wooden flutes tend to have because of joints and all sorts of things. Look at various build quality, try and utilize modern CNC cutting, for example, to try and um, make things accurately, to try and use a blend, really, of old materials and new engineering to try and find something which should be a proper wooden flute. And um, and yes, I'd be again, as I said before, it's all to do with the players. If the players believe believe in what you're doing, then then that is everything. That means everything because at the end of the day, these are the people. It's us as players that are actually going to buy them and keep our business alive. But it's also the things that are going to outlast us as people. And it's this whole idea of things outlasting is is quite important to me. Yeah, I mean, the last person that received it, I mean, you, you do go from, you do choose the experts, don't you? I mean, you sent it to Elizabeth <laughs> Walker, who for all of her yeah, life has yeah. played on a wooden flute maker's guild flute. Mm, yeah, um, absolutely. And was, it's been in love with it, and she's tried so many wooden flutes. Um, mm, mm. But, but I understand she loved it. Uh, yes, Liz was very was very kind and very generous about it in her time and her comments. Uh, and, and again, it, it just goes to show really that I think if you've got the right attitude to the, to what you're doing, and let's face it, we're trying to do this for the player, then the players themselves are interested in talking to you and working with you. And I think, um, uh, yes, Elizabeth was was very complimentary about it. And I thank her greatly for it. Um, there's a few little tweaky things, of course, which need to be ironed out. And there's a few various options, you know, because it, 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 it ends up as a sort of what if project. So there's there's various ideas that she shared with me, which I'm very grateful for. And, um, yeah, I mean, it all adds to the strength of the product. And I understand it's it will be soon be flying down under for the great Andy Nicholson in yes, Perth to yes. be playing. Yes, I'm just make, basically um, making sure that it's all uh, good to go and it will be on its way around the other side of the world. And uh, we'll see what feedback there is from there. And on the back of that, we should be in production very shortly, probably probably middle of this year, if if, if not before. So, so well, what has really gobsmacked me is that I put out on social media, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, some pictures, just some teasing pictures of it. And hmm. I put out a very short reel and the amount of people that came back the feedback the amount of pro players professional players and orchestras who want to try it out very interested in in seeing if it could be a good second flute for them it's it's really opened my eyes to the fact that it's all about producing quality but at an affordable price i mean there is mm. there's reason why handmade flutes are expensive there is reason mm, why absolutely. because they they're made by yeah. hand every part yes, of it is. it is made 
Uh, mm-hmm. got, you've got the design, you've got the materials. You've taken your knowledge of Flute Makers Guild, of Rudel Cart, and designed mm-hmm. a wooden flute, but using modern day technology, as you say, to cut, with the exception of the head joint, I understand. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and trying to make an affordable wooden flute that will stand up as a almost a professional wooden flute yeah i was i've been proved wrong on that one <laughs> I, I, I know I, th- I think it's 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 really to do with you know a, a, a piece of a piece of grenadilla is in, in 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 one hand is going to be a joy and in somebody else's hand is going to be a mess and the point is that <laughs> you know I, I i i always use this fantastic you know it came to me some years ago it's it's like me building a brick wall I, I could buy the best bricks in the world and i could make a complete hash of it but somebody else has been doing it for a long time would actually make something artistically joyful uh, exactly the same product and of course therein lies the difference you know the point is that finding the right materials finding the right people getting the right advice and having the right message the right heart in what you're doing is what it's all about to me and I think after that you can actually put your hand on your heart and say I've actually done the very best I can do given the constraints I have given the price you know that I have I've done everything I can to try and give the player value for money for what they need and um yeah i think it's hopefully it shows well certainly the prototype i've seen and um when obviously this won't be a mass-produced product because no. you know grenadilla i mean let's face it grenadilla no. doesn't want to be grenadilla he wants to be a tree doesn't it he actually doesn't want to exactly. be a flute so it's not going to no, be no. mass-produced but when do you think the first ones will be available do you think it's sort of later in this year sort of september time oh i was i, I certainly think yeah, yes I, I certainly think at the latest i would hope at the latest and are you only going to be um, doing grenadilla or will you eventually no. begin to move off well this is, again we've got other projects going on and yeah. uh, we've got some very nice piccolos at the moment that uh, uh, I've, I've been working on as well in the same way and this has led on to this connection with the flutes. Um, yeah, so we're working with three woods at the moment, um, which is basically the standard grenadilla, and uh, and also a, um, a mapani, and also cocobola as yeah. well to some degree to see what how we can work with those. Um, so we have options. Obviously, it's the grain, it's the quality, it's the it's the um, it's the sustainability, it's all the other factors that matter so much. But all being well, we should be able to produce Mapani, which is basically a redwood um, looking um, flute as well. Uh, we've already got our piccolos in production using this material as well. But oh, the, generally grief. the wood, the woodwork, the wood, <laughs> the wood is um, very, very sound, very, very good. And when you've got good materials and you have good um, colleagues and you've got good connections, um, then there's no excuse for not making a good product in my, in my book. Yeah, I apologise for not so actually saying that your your experience you gained in designing the Grenadilla and the TJ Rosewood piccolos you've brought into the flute mm. the design mm. of the flutes. Mm. So let's move, let's move on to another completely crackers idea of yours, which I know <laughs> is supported by my co-host on Talking Flutes, Claire Southworth, which is <laughs> a flute with an open G sharp. Now, I this flute I do see the point of it because it is logical but I've grown up on a normal flute, not an open G sharp flute. <laughs> why, are you, why have you got so much passion for this instrument? 
um, because it's the original design, I think. It's the original scientific design for the flute from 170 years ago. Um, uh, it, it, you know, logically speaking, when during, during the middle 1800s over here, when everything was in turmoil and everyone was trying to design the best flute, they wanted projection, intonation, they wanted it to be this, they wanted it to be that. There was so many ideas floating around at that point. What it needed was a scientific player to come up with the best answers. And I think Boehm did exactly that not just with the mechanism that we play, but with the, with the cylindrical ball and everything, and open the door to solving so many problems on the flute that have, that have been up to that point. Um, and of course, he came up with such a radical design, such a, a change of design, that some of which we use today, but not all of it. And of course, I think the whole, the, the big bugbear, possibly in the back end of the 1800s, was the whole idea that everyone was used to playing a closed G-sharp flute. And so all of the, all of Bohm's ideas originally were to have an open G-sharp, which logically went down. So the G-sharp had one tone hole, the G had one tone hole. Everything was simple. It was structurally easier to make. It was, um, uh, it was it was scientific, and of course I think that what we've done is to modify his original idea, and that's what we live with. And I think that there are it's it's a bit of an elephant in the room to me, because once you've played on an open G sharp and you've realised how powerful the middle of the register the middle of that flute can be, how solid it can be, you suddenly think, oh, hang on, this isn't just an old-fashioned uh, crazy idea. This has actually got some serious legs and um ever since that moment that sort of moment of enlightenment i've realized that what we haven't done over the, all these years is to look backwards enough to some of these people and i think those people i mean liz liz uh, walker plays an open g sharp fmg oh, okay. wooden flute as well uh, which was wonderful to hear um, but i think you've got to try it to see what the benefits are now, it's a, it was a big move for players in the back end of the 1800s, and it's a bigger move now. However, I still think that it's very important that people shouldn't dismiss it completely because it, is, it enables a flute maker to make a, a, a flute which is perfectly in tune. It, it, it's so much, it makes so much sense to have it. It makes so much sense. But what it is, is a reversal of what you've learned. So people run scared of the whole idea. <laughs> what, 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 you know, and, but it really doesn't take very long to get used to an open G sharp when you start to play. It really doesn't. And once you start to, start to realize just what it does for you as a player, especially with modern technology and modern engineering these days, and it, all of a sudden the flute comes alive and it's, it's quite remarkable. Um, but no, my, my whole project with Claire and, and, and indeed yourself is really to try to give younger players who are starting on the flute the opportunity to be able to learn on one right from the start. So it's not really, it's a, it's a matter of trying to redress the imbalance, really. I think the whole closed G sharp idea in the flute world has kind of taken too much of a grip. And I think that you know, people treat the open G sharp as a little bit of a sort of um, craziness or whatever, but try it. So again, there is no reason why a manufacturer can't make an affordable, 
entry level 10x version as it were of an open g sharp flute so that people can a try it to see what they're missing and and if they like it can teach on it as well and then maybe gradually we can start to redress bones in the the, the imbalance because he really did have a point back all, all those years ago well i all i can say is having sat through r&d meetings with you and you your passion with um <laughs> with open g sharp my eyes just go back into my head as soon as you start talking about it mm-hmm. when i take yeah. the flute out and you are right you've designed and you we've made you've made a the first run of yeah. student as in student priced open g sharp silver plated flutes when we've taken them out, there's been a hell of a lot of interest. And I'm actually quite surprised mm. how many teachers are actually aware and how many teachers play on Open G Sharp. Now, I don't mm. think that, you, that you've that you changed the world on this, David, but I suppose looking forward, your aim is obviously to reintroduce the Open G Sharp or make it available to those that really want to have the option. Exactly. And then yeah. uh, to move yeah. up the scale onto silver heads, yeah. silver tubes, and everything else. Absolutely. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. I, 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 th- I think I think the world deserves to know what these things are, uh, for a start. So I think people need to know what that term means and what it is. When they uh, and then when they do know what it is, have an option to be able to use one which isn't handmade because at the moment. It's a sort of it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, there's not enough people asking for them, so people can't people won't make them. To, but the point is that somebody has to put their foot in the in the water and, and do it. And I think we as a company have got the ability to do that. And so first and foremost, people need to know what they are, what it is, and why. Why do that? So um, you know, but I work on the basis as we've as we have done in the UK for many years, and I'm sure it was across Europe as well, the people that actually commission the building of cathedrals and castles very rarely live long enough to see the end of it. (laughs) That is very true. And, uh, you know, so I think that it's only right and proper that we do what we can to try and get this kind of branch of the flute world back you know, back in the public domain again, back where 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 it should be, because I th- I think that people will be very surprised um, when they actually see these things and try these things at just how much control and power, and and, and intonation issues. You know? With a, with an open G sharp, there's no E mechanisms required. There's no donuts required. There's no E rings required. Middle E suddenly sounds properly. Um, it, it's scientifically worked out. It's a very much easier system to make and very much easier system to play. And, um, and I think people deserve the right to try it themselves. And for more, more information on that, if they just visit the tjflutes.com website and you'll find the Open G Sharp model on there. Yeah, so exactly. David, just, just one last thing before on. we go on that one, and that is that I fully intend to make it, this an option on any of their flute range going forward at some point. So... Even the wooden flutes themselves would be available as open G sharps in the future to to special order. Yeah, but briefly before we before we do sign off, this is obviously an ode to all the techs out there, the un the unseen techs. And for many years, David, you were beavering away back at Lenham and our base, and never saw the <laughs> light of day. Yeah, still um, do. <laughs> but since you've been coming out more and obviously seeing more people. Obviously, you developed the, the copper alto, the probably the world's most favourite alto flute, which is the copper-bodied mm. alto. You've also developed a copper-bodied C flute, which has been out for about 18 months to 
two years now being tested. Yeah, yeah. What was the mm-hmm. logic behind going onto a copper tube? Uh, because that flute is so light. <laughs> well, it's an in, it's a, it's an interesting concept, really, isn't it? I think we have to we have to look at history and uh, and all the things that have been invented over the years, and then actually dig down and find out that actually it was an accident that was found by accident. <laughs> this was created by accident, and I, I'll I'll put my hand up. You know, I mean the same similar thing. I mean, I was we're working with saxophones, we're working with unlacquered um, saxophones, and um, the whole brass side and the high copper content side of of, of materials, what it does what it could do, what's real, what isn't real. And of course, we start looking at doublers on saxophones and doublers on saxophones are very often after that that lovely sultry sound that you get from alto flutes. So I thought, well, you know, maybe a raw alto might be something to have a look at trying. So we kind of had a sample made up with an unlacquered copper tube, a brass tube, similar similar to the uh, saxophones that we do, the signature custom. And um, I think we were all surprised at just how well that played. Um, And it was one of those moments of eyebrow raising moments where you think, oh, okay, so silver isn't the only instrument, the only the only material. And um, I think it was it was yeah, it was one of those moments, one of those special moments where you realise that something you've done for one thing is almost encapsulates something for everybody. So it wasn't just a jazz orientated doublers instrument. All of a sudden, it became a, a bona fide, credible sound. And of course, alto flutes um, have got that kind of you know, lower pitch and everything else, and it sort of lends itself to it. So, so timidly, I thought, well, it won't work on a concert flute for sure, you know. But we'll try. We'll have a look. <laughs> and um, and yeah, you know, there you are. It does. So all of a sudden, it does. Yeah, it does work. I mean, the sound producing side of things, I think, you know, when, when it comes to the mouthpiece, when it comes to the um, head joint, when it comes to the cut and everything else, I still think that that sound production needs to be in silver or something yeah. of that ilk. But the body and, the, and, and the, the overall sound and the feedback you get as a player through the instrument as you're playing it is remarkable. But it was an accident. <laughs> it's, a, a beautiful, it's a beautiful accident and um and, and i know we're, we're having a meeting in a couple of weeks time but i can certainly see the uh scone into production with the copper body sea flute it's mm, been out mm. and it's uh it's a stonker it plays really well it look you've mm. you've got a look of a gold flute but it's copper what made you go 85 percent? was that the was that the most copper content you could go before the copper tube became just too yes pretty 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 much i mean uh, you know luckily in the flute world we have a fairly um lightish instrument that's fairly small i mean the higher the, the higher the copper the softer the, the, the material the more problems you get so with regard to saxophones there's a there's a trade-off between hardness and sound and we found it at that sort of point um, we've all, we, we, you know, we've, we're moving into 90%, 92% copper in soprano saxophones, by the way, as well as an exp- uh, at the moment, which is sounding really nice. But generally, with regard to the, the saxophones themselves, the altos, the tenors, uh, the 85% was a good was a good point to be at, and we we just transferred that over to the flute to see what happened. Um, but there's plenty there's plenty of experimenting to do, really. I love mm. accidents, and from where the company sits, it's, it's it's refreshing. I mean, if if, if people know their, their the text they go to, the technical specialists, they're all very modest. I mean, if I had invented the copper alto or the copper C flute or the wooden flute or the piccolo, 
and put it into production. <laughs> you know, the world would have known about it. But David, you, yeah. you, you beaver away in the background and you give us samples and, you know, I may be cynical to start with, but when I try them, you know, you know so <laughs> most most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, you know, I'll, I'll actually doff my cap and say, really, really well done. And that's the thing where yeah. the techs and the people who design the, un, the unseen heroes, everybody sees mm. people in mm. flute stores mm. because they give you the yeah. flutes and then you remember the person that sold you the flute, but they yeah. don't re- yeah. you don't know the journey that that piece of tree, if we're looking at the wooden flute, has had from being a tree to being that instrument that you're testing. Mm. And, um, you know, I from all the team at the, the company, I, you know, you know thanks, thanks a lot for all the hard work you put oh. in and continue to put in what is yeah, your it's, um, it's, oh, it's my life really yeah. <laughs> sorry <laughs> it was making you extremely boring but um i'm only joking i'm only joking <laughs> by the way that i'm only joking i'm not always that way I, I'm, I'm usually thinking about things trying to solve issues and problems which i think you'll find every technician in the whole world is, is like that yeah you, um, because you are, really yeah. it's a lateral thinking kind of you know um game really in many ways um, but I think that it doesn't matter what your passion is in life, you know, whether it's motor cars or whether, whatever it is. I mean, if you start talking to other people that are passionate as you are and are motivated enough to become good repairers and good technicians, then that's a joy to me. And uh, the point is that, you know, you can share information. You can actually um, learn so much and you can pass on so much. But ultimately, what I want to do is to keep the passion in what we do and not let the economics and that steamroller of, 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 of economics completely ruin what we, what, what we have as players. I mean, our instrument has been a long time in development, you know, over the years, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't, we shouldn't allow economics to, to, to ruin any, any forward thinking. But my philosophy is also not just to talk to other people and to share information, but also to look backwards as much as forwards, because there are people in the past, whose names have been long forgotten to history, who had a hundred times more, 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 more knowledge than I do, and a hundred times more ability than I do. And I respect their input as much as anybody else's. Well, yeah, it's very admirable. It's, it's why you do what you do, and you're an extremely fine brush person, whereas I'm more of a, I'm not even a roller. I'm a sort of more of a steamroller. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, well, there, well, there are things in life, John Paul, that do require a soft touch. <laughs> and I, th- I think you'll find there's more of that, more of that than you think there is. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, what is your long? What's your long? T- I mean, once you've got the wooden flutes developed, and yeah. once the Open G Sharp is, well, it's, it's out now, um, and it's being pushed through now. Now we're out of COVID, yeah. and you've got the wooden heads that are going to be available to fit all brands of flutes, yeah. and it yeah. be for the, I yeah. think be the first affordable wooden head. Uh, again, affordable wooden head to go on any. Flute. Yes, yes. What's long term? I know you've got a passion for trying to bring the Brosser F Sharp back. Um, what is oh, your long? Yeah. What is your long term? Do you have any long term, or are you just working month to month? <laughs> some and some, really. Um, some and some. I mean, life is all about the day to day existence and 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 keeping bread and butter on the table, as it were. But there's also that dream quality. There's also that kind of things that you know that that drive you. I mean, in looking at the drive, I mean, yes, it would be nice to be able to redress balances, I think, going forward. I think that that would be the nice thing. And it would be great to be able to see um, our flute world actually developing and, and more and more people enjoying physically playing our instruments. 
rather than turning to you know some some of the electronics keeping the woodwind alive really and keeping it vital and real um, um and keeping it realistic making sure that we're not going down one alley to the detriment of another so going forward i just like to be doing what i'm doing as long as i can really well, as long as people will put up with it. it what's interesting for us as a company is most companies are run very certain ways very much on a business perspective and i think it was about 10 years ago we decided to turn that on their head and be run by uh, what our technical team were bringing to the table because mm. every, there's a lot of good flutes out there there's a lot of good piccolos but we wanted to be different and to be different, I think you need to be, you need to be de- have your instruments developed by the people who know what the market wants, rather than you telling the market, "Look at this great new flute." Mm. And yeah, very much so. And that's why we don't try and market anything. It all comes from the players. If the players like something, it's because it's been developed with the players. And, exactly. and so I can see this continuing well on into the future, David, until well, until you and I are both. Well, both walking into the office with walking sticks. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I, I just like to say at this moment that in the last 30 years, I've probably met the most amazing people um, in, in this world. And it's down to them that I have to doff my hat and say thank you to all them for putting up with me and my silly questions <laughs> and, uh, and all, all that over the years. But generally, um, there are some phenomenal makers out there. There are some phenomenal people all of which are doing some fabulous work. They're keeping all their instruments working and repaired and everything else. And all of them have a lifetime of experience. And I want to discuss it with everybody. I want to talk about it. Yeah, I want to, it, it, I want to be, be strong from that. And you're not just a talker and then don't do it. You're actually, I've known you come back and stop production to do tweaks mm. um based around oh, yeah. findings yeah, yeah. from repairers and findings from other players so um yes definitely that bang by the way was my my bedlington mouse just slamming the door shut which is quite interesting <laughs> <laughs> so them. i've taken up i've taken up a lot of your time your working time mm. david and uh, i know you're working on yes some... i'm back to the back to the coal face in a moment and uh, yeah working on some flutes to go to uh, another country something i can't remember which one it is at the moment but i know yeah, you, i'm still you, you working got... so I'm very much a hands-on person. I, 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 I sort of, you know, I like to be, I have my own workbench amongst everybody else and I, and I, and I, I prefer it that way. I want to be there at the, at the ground, grassroots with everybody. So I'm going to head back to mine. And Dave is really approachable. If you've got any comments or any ideas or any thoughts, then you can uh, just go into any of our social media, the TJ Flute social media. That's on Instagram at TJ Flutes, uh, Facebook on Trevor James Flute, and uh, you know, drop us a message, and then I'll make sure David gets gets to see it because you actually <laughs> do like hearing from people, don't you? No, I do. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's a, it's a small world that we live in in the flute world and the saxophone world and you know and and we should all know each other and we should all be able to talk to each other so doors are open communication is always open and um i look forward to it thank you so much david and uh you know, wishing you a great day and i'll catch up with you probably i think it's next week <laughs> thank you <laughs> thanks okay, again it's been david a pleasure. so thanks to david and thank you for listening this week Don't forget to give the podcast a like or follow on the various podcast provider you're listening on.
especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, as this helps the various algorithms to make sure that Talking Flutes can be found easily. We love hearing from you, so also keep the messages coming to us by email at flutepodcasts at gmail.com. I'm back again next week with another Talking Flutes Extra. So until then, keep smiling, keep practising, and may your top F sharp be particularly beautiful. Mine never is. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.